And so if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to talk about uh, some of the miracles of Jesus. Now, uh, the Bible records a lot of miracles of Jesus, uh, but the Bible also says that Jesus did so many miracles that there wouldn't be enough books to contain all the miracles that Jesus did. And, and, but I think one of the more fascinating types of miracles that Jesus did was when he raised people from the dead. Like that always is fascinating to me. Like I know, I, like even in my own life, I, I, I've, I've seen miracles happen. I've seen people get healed before, but I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. And so when I read about these particular miracles of Jesus, which I believe there's about three recorded in Scripture that Jesus did. Now, there were many more that he, he probably did, but there's three that's recorded. Uh, I, I'm always fascinated by it. And we're going to read about one of those miracles uh, this morning. And, and we're going to see how that in tune relates uh, to our own lives. Mark chapter 5, let's begin at verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you're there, say, I've got it. If you're not there yet, say, wait up. All right, everybody's there. Mark 5, 21 says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Now the disciples were a little sarcastic with Jesus. You ever notice that? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Say arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. 
And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word that is powerful, alive, and active. Speak to us this morning. Change us. Transform us to be the men and women you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we see this event uh, happen in the life of Jesus where he's performing some miracles. But right out the gate, we're introduced to a man named Jairus. Uh, The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Jairus, but the Bible says enough that we can get a pretty good idea and indication of the type of man that Jairus was. Uh, Jairus, it says that he was a synagogue leader. Now, synagogue leaders in that time more than likely were were with the group called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, if you're familiar with that, were a group of people, religious leaders, that for the most part, they had a problem with Jesus. They didn't really care for Jesus too much. They didn't like the fact that he was getting crowds drawn to him. They didn't like the fact that he was healing people uh, uh, on the Sabbath. They just just found everything they could uh, to ridicule and criticize Jesus. Jesus. And so we know that Jairus was a synagogue ruler, which meant he was part of the Pharisees. But another thing we know about Jairus, because he is a synagogue ruler, he's probably very rich and wealthy. He's rich, he's wealthy, he's powerful, he's probably got a pretty esteemed position in the city. But we also know another thing and discover another thing about Jairus is that he has a 12 year old daughter that is dying. He's got a little girl that is dying. And so Jairus, being a synagogue leader, he had money, he had riches, so so there's a good possibility he had his own physician. He could afford a physician for his daughter, which tells me, and and which could easily, we can kind of assume here, that Jesus might have been his last option. He might have just run all out of options. He might have just run all out of, 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 of ways for his daughter to get better. She's, she's sick and she's dying and the physicians can't help her. Man, let me go to Jesus. Now, being a synagogue leader, he was probably very familiar with Jesus. Being at the synagogue, he probably saw Jesus perform miracles. Being at the synagogue, he was probably even upset at Jesus performing miracles, especially on the Sabbath. You just don't do that. But now here Jairus is, we see that he's coming to Jesus. He falls at his feet, says, Jesus, my my daughter is dying. If you could just come, lay your hands on her, she will be healed. And so we also know another thing about Jairus. It doesn't matter that he's a synagogue leader. It doesn't matter that he's rich. It doesn't matter that he's got a steam position in the city. What we know about Jairus now is that he's a desperate father. A desperate father. I mean, imagine with me, parents, if you will, if you had your sick or dying son or daughter, you'd want to do anything you could to make sure they get better. And Jairus is desperate. And out of desperation, we see him come to Jesus, which which really tells me it's one thing that that, that what caught the attention of Jesus was not Jairus' status or his position. It was his desperation. But what I also love about Jesus in this particular text is the fact that he didn't throw any of that in Jairus' face. Oh, so now you're going to come to me. 
Because it was just last week you were yelling at me for healing somebody. Oh, so now you're going to come and ask me for prayer. Oh, so now you're going to come and ask me for a healing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't throw it in his face. But instead, what do we read? It says that he accepts the invitation and he goes with him. Which tells me one remarkable thing about Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, the love of Jesus has no boundaries. The love of Jesus has no boundaries. So, so what, what, what's love got to do with it? Well, anytime Jesus performed the miracle, it wasn't so he could show off. Every time Jesus performed the miracle, it was sparked and, 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 and prompted by his love and compassion for people. So here we have Jairus, who probably just a week before, days before, was probably criticizing and ridiculing Jesus, now needing a miracle. And Jesus, so moved with love and compassion for this man, this desperate father, goes with him. The love of Jesus has no boundaries. Jesus doesn't love me any more than he loves you. Jesus uh, uh, is not more prompt to, to, to work a miracle in my life and not work a miracle in your life. See, a lot of people think that miracles are just reserved for a certain type of people. Well, clearly, yeah, I could see why Jesus will work a miracle in, in, in Chris's life because he's a pastor. But the same Jesus that can work a miracle in my life is the same Jesus that can work a miracle in your life. The love of Jesus has no boundaries has no boundaries. And we, we see this as the story progresses because now they're going. They're off to Jairus' house. And on their way to Jairus' house, they're interrupted. Large crowds are following them, are going with them, and they're interrupted. Why? By this woman, this unnamed woman. We don't know her name. But chances are, due to her, her, her illness and her sickness that she had, she was an outcasted woman. She was poor. She spent all her money on physicians. And due to the illness that she had, she was deemed unclean. So nobody wanted anything to do with this woman. And I won't go into much detail about this particular miracle, but let's just say Jesus stopped in his tracks. Why? For the compassion and love for this woman. The love of Jesus has no boundaries. Yes, Jesus had a very prestigious uh, a synagogue leader who was wealthy and who was esteemed in the city, but basically he told him to wait. Somebody else needs a miracle. The love of Jesus has no boundaries. And so this woman is healed. And some critical time has passed now. Because now we read in the text where some, some messengers from, from Jairus' home come out to meet them and say, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is gone. She didn't make it. And since your daughter is da- gone, don't even bother with the teacher anymore. Why even bother him anymore? What's the point? Can you imagine the, 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 the feeling and emotion that Jairus must have been feeling at that time? 
Like, imagine you go to Jesus because you want him to come heal your daughter, and, and, and Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. I, I would even bet that Jairus was probably walking way faster than Jesus was. Jairus may have been all the way down the street looking back like, this dude needs to come on. He's a desperate father. I got to get back to my kid. And now Jesus wants to stop. And love on and heal an unnamed, outcasted woman. The love of Jesus has no boundaries. The same Jesus that could work a miracle for Jairus, a rich, wealthy, esteemed man, is the same Jesus that can work a miracle for an unnamed, outcasted, unclean woman. So Jairus gets this news, and chances are pretty likely that he was very shaken up by it. Very moved by the news that was the fact that his daughter is now dead. And his servants are like, the people from his house are like, hey, look, man, your daughter's dead. Don't even bother with the teacher anymore. What's the point? Now, I think some of us are in a what's the point kind of season right now. What I mean by that is we, we haven't seen Jesus come through like we wanted him to. We haven't really uh, seen or experienced uh, what we deem miracles like we read about in the Bible. We, we haven't really experienced the life that we thought we would or that Jesus was going to come through for us like he could. So now some of us are in a season of, man, eh, what's the point? What's the point? I haven't received my miracle yet. My marriage is still messed up. Where you at, Jesus? My family is still broken. I, I still got this illness, this sickness in my body. I've been praying and praying and praying, believing for miracles. And sometimes we end up in the what's the point season. Like, what's the point? Why continue following Jesus when my life hasn't gotten any better? My situation in life hasn't really improved much since I met Jesus or since I started coming to church. What's the point? What's the point? And Jesus, very aware of what's going on. And we know Jairus must have been reacting pretty fearful at the moment because Jesus looks at him and says, Jairus, hey. Don't be afraid. I need you to believe. Actually, another translation says, hey, Jairus, don't be afraid. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I know how everything looks right now. I know the news you just got is crazy. I know everything seems really dark right now. But Jairus, look at me. Look at me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And I believe the same thing that Jesus spoke to Jairus in that moment is the same thing Jesus wants to speak to you right now. He wants to look at you in the face and say, hey, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just trust me. Just trust me. What that tells me out of this text is that for all of us, eventually, 
we're all going to have to take a leap of faith at some time in our lives. All of us. I mean, initially, Jairus was just a desperate man. But now Jesus is asking Jairus to step it up a little more and say, hey, now I need you to really believe. Now I need you to have faith. You were desperate when your daughter was on the brink of death, but now that she's died, you, 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 now you're, 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 you're hopeless. Now you think, man, what's the point? But now here's where I need you to take me by the hand and take that leap of faith with me, Jairus. I need you to believe. All of us at some point in our life have to take a leap of faith with Jesus. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when the situation is dark. I was reading uh, an interesting fact uh, a few weeks ago about an African impala. An African impala. I'm not talking about the car. I'm talking about the animal. Interesting fact about an impala. An impala is a very powerful animal. An African impala is so, so powerful that they, they say that based off the facts about it, that it can, it can jump 10 feet high in the air. It can jump 10 feet high in the air. So just to kind of give you some perspective, it, it, can, it can leap over this cross and clear about 30 yards. Imagine that. That's how powerful the impala is. Can, leap, can jump 10 feet high in the air and clear about 30 yards as it leaps. That's how strong, fast, and powerful the African impala is. But I also read another interesting fact about the impala is that zookeepers can capture and keep an impala captive with just a three-foot wall. Well, that doesn't make sense. You just told me that an African impala can clear 10 feet 30 yards out, pretty powerful, pretty strong, yet you're telling me that they can keep an impala captive with just a three-foot wall? Absolutely. Here's why. Because an impala will not jump or leap in a place where it does not know where its feet are going to land. And my concern is that many of us are living life captive like that. Many of us don't want to take the leap with God because we don't know where we're going to land. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't really know if I can trust him. And because of that, we're held captive by our three-foot wall of unbelief. When God has put in you so much, God has already shown you so much. And yet we walk around captive in this three-foot wall of unbelief, and all Jesus is saying is, hey, take me by the hand and take the leap with me. But Jesus, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to look. That's where faith comes in. Because if we knew how and when we were going to land, it wouldn't be faith. And some of you this morning need to take that leap of faith this morning. I don't know if it's with your marriage. I don't know if it's with your finances. I don't know if it's whatever the situation is in your life. You need to take him by the hand and take the leap. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe.
And so they continue on their trek. They're on their way to Jairus' house, and they arrive. And there's all this commotion of people weeping and wailing and mourning. It's interesting, if you read about that time period, uh, uh, many of those wailers and mourners were professional mourners. Professional wailers. They would, they would hire people to come mourn and cry with them. It's crazy, right? And we know, they were, we know they were acting because when Jesus comes up on the scene, he's like, hey, what's all the commotion? Why all the crying and wailing? She's not dead. She's asleep. And immediately they started laughing. They're like, oh, <laughs> this fool's crazy. What's he talking about? He's delusional. He said she's asleep. And what does Jesus do? He removes them all from the house. Just on a side note, don't let the people around you limit your faith. I don't care if it's your family. I don't care if it's your close friend. They may be even the ones questioning you, say, man, why are you getting all into that God stuff? Man, why are you getting into all church right now? Why, why, why are you doing all that? That's, what's that really doing for you? You really believe God can come through for you like that? Oh, you really believe God can heal you? Oh, you really believe God really saved you? you really, man, don't let people limit your faith. Some of them just need to be put out. What I've always wanted to know, did Jesus physically put them out? Did he just say, hey, get out? Or did he, like, take them by the shoulders, like, no, nah, dude, you, you go out. You go out. Like, he put them out. He put them out and only brought in those that came with him, his three disciples, his three core, and the family of the little girl. And the Bible says that he goes to where the little girl's laying, and he takes her by the hand. It says, Talita Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up. He didn't yell it. He didn't shout it. He just spoke it. Arise. And immediately life was brought back to her. Arise. Say arise. They were all amazed. They were all moved and touched by this miracle that just happened. Now, it was probably about two or three months, it was about two and a half months ago. I was sitting uh, in a pastor's conference and I was at this part of the conference where uh, various people were getting up just sharing what was on their heart and sharing what the Lord was doing uh, with them. And one particular lady got up and she began to reference this passage of Scripture, Mark 5. And she got down to the point where Jesus says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. And right when she said that, like, it, it was in that moment, like, I, I didn't listen to anything else she said. I didn't hear anything else she said. I didn't listen to anything else that anybody else was saying. I was just so wrapped up in that word, arise. I was like, man, that's pretty powerful. 
Like, I've, like the miracles of Jesus are, are, are amazing, but man, like the resurrection from the dead, like that's just powerful. That's amazing. I've never seen that before. Like, and that there's such authority with that word and how Jesus said it. I thought, man, that's amazing. And it was like in that moment, like it was just me and God. And I felt God just to kind of say to me, and, 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 and it, this may be weird for some people, but, but it was just kind of like it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't anything like that. It was just in my spirit. I felt like the Lord tell me, he said, Chris, you do realize I've given you that same authority. I've also given you the authority and the power to speak to that which is dead to be made alive again. Not only have I given that to you, I've given that to your church. He said, Chris, every time you talk to somebody about me, Chris, every time you, you speak to somebody about me, anytime you introduce me to somebody, he says, you are, you are sharing with them in authority. You are calling that which is dead to be made alive again, meaning every time you speak to someone about me, every time you share the gospel with someone, that dead spirit that is inside of them is being made alive again. So don't tell me you've never seen the resurrection from the dead because every time you talk about me to someone, something comes alive. Chris, I've given you that authority. I've given your church that authority to speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again. And I came back here today to tell you, I believe that Jesus is wanting us to speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again. I don't know if that's in your spirit. I don't know if that's in your marriage. I don't know if that's in your family. But speak to it to arise. Not because we're anything special, but because he is. Because he is. Let me, let me, let me read something to you here. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. This is Jesus talking to his 12 disciples. The Bible says that he, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And then it says that he, he, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So, so we see this authority that he's, he's given the disciples, this authority he's given his, his, his followers. And then we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 40, it's Peter, one of his disciples, a woman dies named Tabitha. And they call Peter and say, Peter, Tabitha has died. And when Peter arrives, this scene looks so familiar. People are weeping and mourning. Acts chapter 9, verse 40, it says, But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. See, we see this authority that has been passed down to those that follow him. That same authority that he gave them is the same authority he gave us. And I felt like the Lord was saying in that moment, he's saying, Chris, I know you're amazed, and you're saying you've never seen somebody raised from the dead, but... Every time you share me with somebody, they are arising to new life. They're being made alive again. And I don't know what it is in your life 
that needs to be made alive again. For some of you, it's, it is spiritual. Some of you here have never had an encounter with Jesus before. And Jesus wants to come and have an encounter with you and bring you to new life. For some, it's your family, your marriage, anything, anything in your life that has been dead and you think it's hopeless, I've lost all hope with it. Jesus has given us authority to speak to it, to arise, say arise, to be made alive again. See, the love of Jesus has no boundaries. Has no boundaries. The same Jesus that can work a miracle in my life is the same Jesus that can work a miracle in your life. The same Jesus that has given me authority to call things that which are dead to be made alive again is the same Jesus that can give you the authority to call things which are dead to be made alive again. He's given you that authority to call things to arise. And so when I heard this, this woman share this passage of Scripture, I was just so wrapped up in it. I was so caught up in it. And I need you to hear this for a moment. I need you to really, really hear this. I thought about the church, and I thought about what our responsibility and our authority and our mandate is as a church. Now, almost 32 years ago, Pastor Sonny and Susan on this very platform, on this very, on this very property, were given a mandate. They were given a mandate to speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again, to share Jesus with men, women, young people, children. Their only hope and desire was that men and women would have an encounter with Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus in his life, they would come to know Jesus in his power. Now, almost 32 years ago, 32 years ago, And let me tell you something, that mandate and authority hasn't changed. The same Jesus that told Pastor Sonny and Susan 32 years ago to speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again, is the same Jesus speaking to us right now to speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again, to call things to arise. That's the mandate he's given myself to speak to the church. That's the mandate he's given you to speak to men and women. That's the mandate he's given us as a church to speak to the community. That's the mandate he's given us to speak to the city, to call things to arise. Thirty-two years ago, nothing's changed. That's the same mission. That's the same vision. That's the same drive. That's the same thing that keeps us moving. And almost two years ago now in January, I stood on this platform, my wife and I, and we said, look, the mission and vision hasn't changed. We still want men and women to have an encounter with Jesus. We still want men and women, young people, children, to meet Jesus and to be made alive again. That hasn't changed. 
Now, it may look different, it may sound different, it may feel different, it may just, everything about it may be different in how it looks and how it, how it, how it appears to you, but the mission and vision is still the same. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And I want to make sure that that mission and vision and mandate for us as a church never, never changes to speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again, to introduce people to Jesus. That's our hope. That's our hope. And so as I was just meditating on that word that I heard a few months ago, I was driving home. We were driving home from Texarkana, and I was talking with Nancy, and I was just sharing with her what I was feeling, just what was just resonating in me. And I felt it strongly that that was a message I wanted to bring back to you guys, that, man, you've been given that authority too. You've been given that authority too. But now I feel that as a church, We need to better communicate and to better demonstrate that to our community and to our city. That that is our mandate, that is our mission, that is what we are called to do. Speak to that which is dead to be made alive again, to call things to arise. Mission, mandate, vision doesn't change, but we know some things will change. And I wanted, I felt really strongly that we needed to do something that better reflected that, that better demonstrated that for us as a church as to what our vision and mission and mandate is as a church. So all that to say, come January 2019, Southwest Harvest Church will become Arise Church. Because that's our vision. That's our mission. That's our mandate. To speak to that which is dead, to be made alive again. And I knew we needed something that would better just, just imprint and stamp on who we are, what we believe in, what we're hoping for. And that's our next step as a church. That's where we feel we're, we're stepping into next. Myself and our leadership team, we, we've gotten together, we've talked about it, we've prayed about it, and we felt like this was the next step for us. This was necessary for us. The core of who we are stays who we are. And you know one of the biggest cheerleaders behind this name change was Pastor Sonny. We were sitting in our elders meeting and when I said the name and when I talked about what I was feeling on my heart, he hit the table and says, yes, that's it, Chris. I see it. I see it. I see the name. I see the sign. I see everything. I see it. And that's the same excitement I would love to see from all of us moving into 2019. That we would get excited about the mandate and the vision that God has given us.
and that we would step into this new season at 32 years as a church. 32 years as a church to continue to walk in the authority that Jesus himself has given us. Amen? Let's stand to our feet.